One of your rights when you're arrested is the right to counsel. Several hundred of those have been on the list for over a year. Uh, 700 more for six months, uh, 700 more for five months, uh, about 1,000 more for four months. So... Two weeks ago, Cole County Circuit Court Judge William Hickel issued a ruling that could have a big impact on the state of Missouri and its criminal justice system. Joining us today to talk about what happened and what needs to happen next is Tony Rothard. He's the legal director of the ACLU of Missouri. Tony, welcome back. Good to be here. So the ACLU of Missouri filed this lawsuit in this case almost exactly a year ago. What were the main allegations that you were making? So uh, this lawsuit, which we filed together with the MacArthur uh, Justice Center a year ago, uh, was challenging uh, the state public defender's use of waiting lists as a way of uh, trying to deal with the backlog uh, of cases that they had and the the overworkedness of their uh, attorneys. And help us understand the magnitude of this problem. At its peak, how many people were on this waiting list and, and how long were they stuck on this waiting list? Uh, I mean, you know, it, it was... It was bad. Um, thousands, thousands of people uh, were on the waiting list. Uh, waiting lists were being used in about a quarter of the counties. Uh, Twenty-nine Missouri counties uh, had waiting lists. Um, you know, even as it as it improved, there are still people on uh, waiting lists for a long time. So, you know, November 2019, for instance, there were uh, 5,800 people on waiting lists across the state. So I'd love to give people a sense of what it means to be on one of these waiting lists. I mean, in many cases, these people are in jail. You guys had one of the plaintiffs in your case. He kept coming up. His his court dates were coming up, and he was there in court without any attorney to help him. How does that work? Yeah. Um, Well, it's it's not how it's supposed to work. Uh, You know, one of the uh, the plaintiffs he had... uh, he showed up for a bail hearing uh, while seven times <laughs> without a lawyer uh, while he was on the waiting list. Seven he in, times. He was, in, he was entitled to an attorney seven different times. He went to court, and and guess what? Uh, his bail was reduced zero of those times. Hmm. Uh, when after he had been on the waiting list for, for almost six months, uh, and he had an attorney join his case, then he was he was out within two days. Uh, his bail was reduced. So, mm. uh, you know, he stayed in jail for almost six months uh, because he was on the waiting list. Mm. And in this lawsuit, you're arguing that this isn't just a bad thing, that this is something that's unconstitutional. Why is that? Right. So uh, as everyone who uh, has watched any police procedural show knows uh, <laughs> one of your rights when you're arrested is the right to counsel. Uh, and when the uh, state is uh, seeking to put someone in prison, uh, they have a constitutional uh, right uh, to have an attorney uh, with them uh, and representing them. And that that's not happening. In, in Missouri, it wasn't happening before waiting lists. Waiting lists are the, are the latest symptom uh, of the uh, underfunded uh, 
system of providing counsel for uh, criminal defendants that the Constitution requires. Hmm. And these waiting lists, my understanding is um, the Public Defender's Office has been using them now since 2017. Is that right? Yes, uh, since 2017. And in their defense, I mean, the judges are uh, concurring <laughs> in the use of the waiting list. And uh, the legislature you know, passed a law that authorizes them. So uh, they are trying to follow a, a statute to uh, solve their caseload issues, uh, but and judges are in a predicament when uh, competent counsel can't be provided, uh, and so both judges and the public defender's office are, you know, looking at the statute and saying, "Well, the legislature said we could do this." Mm-hmm. Uh, so the real problem here is that that law is unconstitutional, um, at least as it's being used here. And so, yeah, you brought this lawsuit um, asking the judge to find this to be unconstitutional, and he did rule for you. What did he find in this ruling? Well, um, well, he, he said we're, we, that we would win. <laughs> the, the, the way this is set up. Uh, is uh, unconstitutional, Uh, you know, that it started in in 2017, it continues today. Uh, Back in in, in 2019, there were 5,800 cases uh, on the waiting list. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had a a trial in November where we got updated numbers, and uh, even then, uh, in November, it it had shrunk, but uh, it was 2,500 people statewide on the list. And uh, several hundred of those have been on the list for over a year, uh, 700 more for six months, mm. uh, 700 more for five months, uh, about 1,000 more for four months. So, you know, it was happening and it continued. And he found that we're likely to show that uh, it violates the state constitutional guarantee of the right to counsel, uh, because you have a right to have an attorney within a reasonable amount of time after uh, after you've been charged. Hmm. So his ruling, I can't say I was shocked that he would find that this was unconstitutional, but something I found really interesting in this ruling is how he honed in on the idea that you need to get a lawyer within two weeks. He felt that was really important. What was his thinking on that? Well, right, and that's and that's part of the uh, the problem with waiting lists is uh, it doesn't do you uh, it's not good enough <laughs> to get a lawyer uh, a year later or or six months later, um, and it, and it's not just having to go to bond hearings without representation. It's that uh, there are certain decisions that have to be made quickly, or you lose them, like the right to ask for a change of judge, which you haven't. Missouri. Uh, if uh, if 30 days passes, you've lost that right. That mm-hmm. can make the entire difference of the case or a change, a change of venue. Uh, but in any case, uh, investigating the facts, starting to build uh, the case, communicating with the defendant, uh, that has to be timely done. Uh, otherwise, it, it loses its value. So if um, attorneys not even thinking about the case, much less trying to talk to a witness or trying to get documents saved or videos saved um, until three, four months later, um, you know, the evidence could be gone. Hmm. Uh, and then that, that affects how the case turns out. 
So Judge Hickel, he found this unconstitutional or said he was he would <laughs> he was likely to eventually yeah. rule that this was unconstitutional. What is the remedy now that we know that this doesn't pass muster? Well, uh, you know, that's that's the hard part. And I think it's the part the judge uh, is struggling with uh, what what to do about it. Um, and and so uh, for now, he has uh, stayed his opinion and uh and said, you know, I'm going to find this unconstitutional, but uh, really we need an enduring uh, solution, and that needs to come from the legislature. And he hearkened back to uh, 1971. In, in, in the 60s and in the very beginning of the 70s, uh, Missouri just didn't provide counsel. Um, to indigent defendants. Uh, the, the, the U.S. Supreme Court said, oh, you have to. Uh, so, but uh, there was no immediate legislative response. So what happened is, uh, in different courts, courts would appoint, um, would appoint a lawyer and say, you have to represent them for free. <laughs> and uh, and I, some of this is in ACLU archives more than in uh, court decisions, but there were some... Uh, challenges to that by lawyers who said that you're taking you're forcing me to do these services and that cost me money uh and uh and you're not paying me so uh the supreme court missouri supreme court found that that whole scheme of appointing people uh without paying them um was a skirting of the state's responsibility uh to provide counsel and said it was unconstitutional but uh, recognizing that a permanent solution would be better, uh, gave some time to the General Assembly to to fix it. Hmm. And that is what led to the creation of the uh, Missouri Public Defender System in, in, in 1972. Uh, since then, uh, the uh, at least for the last two decades, uh, the Missouri Public Defender System uh, has not received much increase in funding, but uh, we have um, increased the number of people we're prosecuting and trying to put in jail. So uh, both the uh, lack of keeping up uh, so that staff can be hired, uh, lack of bringing, having the money in from the legislature and the legislative choice and prosecutor's choices to prosecute more and more crimes uh, and put more and more people in prison uh, ha- have combined to make public defender workloads um, so incapable of being handled that, uh, you know, there's burnout, there's high turnover, there are ethical complaints, there are ethical problems uh, because attorneys uh, cannot provide uh, competent defense. Mm-hmm. And there are defendants not getting competent defense as well. So um, so the, the, the waiting list is really just a symptom of that. It's one of the ways uh, the legislature, rather than putting up money, uh, tried to give an out uh, to give some relief to public defenders uh, without giving them any more money. And it's just, it doesn't work because it's at uh, the expense of defendants' constitutional rights. Okay.
Okay. So Judge Hickel is now saying the legislature needs to step up, and, and that leads us to our next guest. I should note we've been talking to Tony Rothert. He's the legal director of the ACLU of Missouri. And joining us now um, is State Representative Tony Lavasco. He's a Republican from O'Fallon, um, and we're hoping to talk to him about what the legislature might do about this ruling. So Representative Lavasco, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. So this public uh, public defender funding, as Tony Rothard outlined here, this has been a long-standing problem for the state of Missouri. We're not funding this at, at the level that judges say we need to be funding it for a constitutional system. Is this something that the Missouri legislature is now talking about? Well, you know, the, the mechanics of how the budget works, uh, a lot of that happens uh, by, not quite behind closed doors, but uh, in, in very long meetings that uh, you're, you're not likely to want to watch all of. Um, I'm not part of that process directly, but I have been involved in some of the conversations on the outside. Uh, I can tell you, this is an important issue to me, certainly. I, I think, you know, regardless of this court hearing, I think it's very clear that we have not been adequately funding the public defender's office for some time. Mm-hmm. And I think just kind of common sense suggests that when you've got people literally waiting for months to, to have a lawyer, that, well, you've, you've clearly got a, a supply and demand issue there that needs to be addressed. Uh, and I think there's there's really two ways that we slice it, and I, I think we ought to do both. I think we need to, to look at increasing the funding, and I think we also need to, to perhaps uh, reduce some of that demand uh, by perhaps uh, revisiting some of our, our actual laws to, to see if maybe we ought to be cutting some things from the book so that we aren't prosecuting people for crimes that are not causing harm to others. Hmm. So, Representative Lavasco, in addition to adding more funding for this office, you'd like to see fewer people being prosecuted in general. Sure. No, I think, you know, we spend a dramatic amount of taxpayer resources prosecuting people for crimes that are not hurting others. You know, the, the purpose of government should ultimately be to secure our rights, to, to, to protect our, ourselves, you know, from others, from government, uh, and to make sure that those rights are secure. And it's not to tell us how to live. It's not to uh, try to create a society that we would prefer. Uh, ultimately, government should be regulating harm. And we go so far beyond that in so many ways. And all that does is it increases the burden of the system, it increases the cost of the taxpayer, and ultimately it makes things an awful lot more complicated for everyone. Do you think your Republican colleagues um, share your thoughts on that? You know, I think we're starting to move in that direction. I think the the, the wheel has definitely turned more in, in favor of criminal justice reform in general. Uh, I'm vice chair of the Criminal Justice uh, Committee. Uh, Shamid Dogan, a representative from, I believe, Baldwin, uh, has been working on this issue before. I actually was uh, in the legislature. He's the chairman of that committee. Uh, and we've looked at an awful lot of issues in the last couple of years, uh, some very small and some very large, uh, that make a big dent, I think, in uh, kind of keeping things uh, in the direction that we want them to go rather than how they've been headed for so many decades. Hmm. Tony Rothart, I know this has to be music to your ears. <laughs> um, well, yes. I mean, I... I I, I agree on what the role of government is. And, you know, we put uh, particularly, uh, you know, the drug crimes that, that are that have no victims um, are, are a big group of laws that we put people in prison for violating uh, in, in this state. And, uh, and that is being looked at across the country. Mm-hmm. And uh, Missouri is not you know, we're not at the forefront in addressing that, uh, but you know, reducing the number of people who need an attorney would also uh, reduce the caseloads. 
So beyond this bigger picture issue, though, we have kind of an immediate need right now. And and whatever the legislature does, it's hard to imagine it would immediately impact prosecutors and and what they're doing in these individual counties. I know earlier this month, uh, Governor Parson recommended the legislature approve a budget increase of uh, $820,000. This is a request from the Missouri State Public Defender's Office. And I'm sorry, I misspoke. I said earlier this month, I meant February. It's already March. Uh, Representative Lavasco, do you support that increase? Uh, you know, I do. I, I don't think that's quite enough, to be honest. I'm not sure that that gets us all that far. Uh, you know, my, my number's a little bit out of date, but looking at, at last year's numbers from 2020, you know, I know the department was saying that they were somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 7 to $8 million behind uh, what they'd like to get. I think the governor had recommended like $1.5 million uh, extra. You know, I, I don't have all those details. Again, you know, I'm not on budget. Uh, but just kind of common sense suggests that, you know, in the scheme of our state budget, that's a, a pretty small amount of money. Uh, you know, I, I could just off the top of my head uh, list a, 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 a litany of items that we have spent more than that on that I would think are nowhere near as important. I mean, we, we spent almost half a million dollars to clean the statue on the top of the Capitol. Uh, I feel like we can do better to, to, to make sure that people have their constitutionally uh, you know, mandated uh, right to counsel. Tony Rothert, how much money do you think it would take to fix this problem? Uh, well, it depends It depends what the problem is that we're try, trying to fix. Um, yeah, I think what the governor has proposed is an excellent step in the right direction, and, and we have not seen a proposed increase from a Missouri governor in, in, in years, so it, it's, it's positive. Um, it is, it, I don't think it's enough even to deal with uh, the waiting list um, that we have right now. Uh, and if it is, the waiting list will come back uh, because uh, it, it will be enough to deal with it in the moment, but uh, not on a, a ongoing basis. And the waiting, waiting lists are really just the latest symptom of the overburdened uh, public defender system. Uh, so you know, get, fixing one symptom doesn't make the real problem go away. And the real problem is that uh, the state has for a long time neglected uh, this constitutional obligation and, uh, and, and hasn't fixed it. So step in the right direction, but really just a drop in the bucket. Representative Lavasco, the idea of increasing this even beyond what the governor is asking for, I understand that's not just as simple as saying, hey, let's put this in here. Some sort of trade-off would need to be made. Uh, explain to us how that process works. Yes, unfortunately, it's very difficult to make major changes in our budget, and, and for good reason. Uh, basically, any time that you propose an increase in spending in one area, you have to propose a simultaneous cut in spending somewhere else so that we can have a balanced budget, which I think is absolutely important. That's valid. Unfortunately, it kind of puts us in a position where any time that you, know, you might even have consensus that something's important, what's a lot harder to get is consensus on, well, what's less important? You know, everyone has an advocacy group that they think is most important to them. We all have, you know, come from different you know, parts of the state. Uh, that really complicates things. And so while, you know, I may be able to very easily and with no difficulty say that, you know, it's ridiculous to give $3 million to fix up the Truman Presidential Library that we don't even own, that, you know, something like that would be well better spent on the public defender's office. 
well, you know, someone who represents that district or that area, who that, you know, brings in a lot of tourism revenue and, and local tax dollars to their, their, their location, well, they have to consider their constituents as well. And mm-hmm. so it gets really complicated really quick. Do you think that's one reason that despite this long history, as, as Tony Rother just outlined, this has been a problem for years? Is that why the legislature hasn't addressed this previously? Or is there more of an attitude of, hey, we want to be buttressing prosecutors. We don't want to put more money into public defenders. You know, I've never seen that attitude. I mean, there, there's definitely a, you know, very pro-police, pro-prosecutor mentality in the General Assembly, but I've never seen it, you know, come at the at the expense of, of people's fundamental rights like that. I've never heard anyone, you know, oh, we don't need those public defenders at all. That That's, you know, just to, to represent guilty people. I never heard anything like that. So I really do think it's more just a matter of kind of the, the process and, and the sausage making and just the unfortunate that it's just been a casualty of, of just people having priorities that are just more important than them. So, hmm. so Tony, Tony Rothart, put these consequences into focus for us. Um, in light of Judge Hickel's ruling here, what happens if the legislature doesn't address this and doesn't properly fund this system in its next budget? Uh, I, well, Judge Hickel's going to have to order something. And, and, and what that is, uh, yeah, we, we don't know. Uh, he might uh, just say it's unconstitutional and then all those uh all those defendants who are on waiting lists uh the judges and in their individual cases would have to decide what to do and now that the waiting lists are unconstitutional and it could be setting them free uh and dismissing charges um judge hickel could also um order the state uh, order that judges can appoint private attorneys, but because of the 1970 decision of the Missouri Supreme Court, uh, that can't be done without paying them. So, you know, the state would just be ordered to pay and would have to figure out how how to come up with money that's not budgeted. Hmm. Uh, So, you know, these aren't, you know, we didn't want him to stay his decision to give the legislature uh, time uh, because legislature has had decades, but... uh, the, the court is right uh, that this is something legislature uh, needs to take responsibility for. And uh, it's unfortunate that it's falling on, on this legislature. Uh, the neglect for decades is falling on this legislature, especially at a time when uh, revenues could be affected because of COVID and there's all these unusual expenses. But, uh, you know, something has to happen. Uh, people's uh, rights are at stake. They're being violated today. Uh, and and it's something that's happening across the state uh, and, and affects, uh, you know, it can affect any family at any time. Well, we intend to stay on this story, and I know you will be staying on top of this, too. So, Tony Rothart, uh, legal director for the ACLU of Missouri, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And Representative Tony Lavasco, thank you for giving us some perspective on how this all plays out. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Thank you very much. One quick note before we go. This next week will be marking one full year since Missouri Governor Mike Parson declared a state of emergency amid the COVID-19 pandemic. He did that just hours after then-President Trump declared the pandemic a national emergency. On March 12, we're planning a special edition of St. Louis on the Air devoted to reflections on the past year. And we'd love to hear yours. What have you found yourself grieving over in recent months? What has brought you joy or strength? Or a different question to ponder, if you like. What's the thing that has surprised you the most during all of this? 
You can share your reflection by leaving us your first name, where you're calling from, and a brief voicemail. Call 314-516-6397 to leave us your message. Again, that's 314-516-6397. And if you'd prefer to write out your thoughts, you can email talk at stlpublicradio.org. Thanks so much for listening. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association, providing more than 41,000 jobs in the production of wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details at ChooseWood.com.